The John Morris Show, episode 60. Seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. You'll never have the sacred stone. <laughs> oh, this you crazy mother... You are now listening to The John Morris Show. My name is John Morris, Army veteran turned freelance web developer, and each week I bring you a fresh look into the latest news, advice, and next steps for the self-made web designer and developer to help you reach your dream of coding for a living faster. Thanks for giving me some of your time today. Now, let the episode begin. Today's episode is brought to you by the Complete Web Developer Course by Rob Percival on Udemy.com, where you can learn HTML, CSS, JavaScript, PHP, MySQL, WordPress, mobile apps, and more inside one convenient course, so you can shortcut the time it takes to start earning your full-time income as a web developer. John Morris Show listeners can get an exclusive 85% discount on the course, by visiting johnmorrisonline.com slash cwdc. That's johnmorrisonline.com slash cwdc. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the John Morris Show, and I've got a great show for you today. Coming up in the show, we're going to be talking about Oracle finally saying goodbye to its Java browser plugin. Also, seven future web design trends, the 19-year-old dude syndrome, how to pick the right font for your design, using content to make friends and get clients, and also, as always, our web development Q&A. Now, if you haven't yet, be sure to subscribe to the podcast over on iTunes, and if you would be so kind as to leave me a review over there, that would help me out a ton. Or you can subscribe, if you have an Android device, you can use... SoundCloud, you can go over to johnmorrisonline.com slash iTunes or slash SoundCloud. And as always, I'm on YouTube at johnmorrisonline.com slash YouTube. Now, before we get into today's show, I want to start off with my little rant that I always like to do to start the show. And this is actually a rant for myself because this week I've been starting to do more and more with local businesses in the area where I live. I recently moved to Omaha, Nebraska and have started to kind of interact in the community and have started getting involved and helping local businesses around this area. And so I've been working on a lot of different projects and actually this podcast is as you probably noticed, coming out a little bit late. And the reason is because I, like most developers, have the tendency to go full caveman. And so I got kind of buried in what I was doing. And when we do that, it can be easy to make sure and come up for air. And there's a number of things that you would want to do when you do that. But for me, it's being sure to do all the things that I do to continue to market and push my business. Uh, If you're working with freelance clients, and this is really the point that I want to make, is coming up for air to make sure and communicate with them. And I want to address this because it's something that I've gone through 
I know a lot of other developers kind of deal with. And it's this mindset that, especially when you first start out, what a lot of developers believe is, this is the way I used to think about it, is at the end of the day, what the client wants is the project done, right? That's what they're after. And so, yeah, you know, maybe I should communicate better. But as long as I deliver the project how they want it delivered, I do it on time, I create a good product that works and functions, and I'm not overly difficult to work with, then, yeah, you know, communication, whatever, I'll be fine because I delivered what they asked for. And nothing could be further from the truth. And the big reason why is because our industry has become so much more competitive. Maybe five, 10 years ago, you could get away with that because clients didn't have a number of good options. Now they're tripping over good options. There's plenty of people that can do the things that they need done. Talent isn't what's going to set you apart. The ability to deliver isn't the thing that's going to really set you apart. What's going to set you apart is all the other things around it. And one of those, probably the biggest one, is communication. Because if you flip it around and look at the situation from the client's perspective, when you go full caveman, (laughs) and by that I mean you just dig into the code, you turn off everything else, and you don't communicate with anybody, when you do that from their perspective, they get really, really nervous. And clients don't like feeling really, really nervous. They like someone who constantly keeps them in the loop. And so that's the way that you're going to set yourself apart because there's still a lot of developers who aren't doing that. Some of the most successful developers that I've seen and been around are people who are really great communicators. They're not even necessarily that great at web development. In fact, there's a lot of them who just hire people out to do the, the web development and they just manage the client relationship. They know how to code but they're not full on into any particular language. They're better with the client relationship side. And so they just hire people to do the code. You have to communicate with your clients and you can't ever go full caveman. You never go full caveman. Now, how do you do that? How do you get yourself? Because it's so easy for us to just dig in and I understand it. I do it too. When I start thinking about something, I can't let it go. And I think that's how it is for a lot of developers. Once my mind gets going on, it takes a little bit to get going on something. But once it gets going, I got to get it out. Like I I can't stop thinking about it until it's done. And so I understand it. And I get that it's not malicious, but it scares the hell out of your clients. So here's how you deal with it. You can usually feel when that's coming on. You can usually feel yourself starting to ramp up to a project where you feel like, okay, I'm at the point where I can just dig in on this. So when you feel that coming up, that's when you have to communicate with your client. You have to communicate with them and say, hey, look, I've been going through all the setup and thinking and figuring out how I wanted to do this. And I've got a good idea of what I want to do now. And now I'm at the point where I'm ready to just execute. And when I do that, I really like to just turn off all the distractions and dig in. So you might not hear from me for the next two or three days. And I wouldn't go beyond three days, by the way, with a client. Any client, no matter if you tell them or not, you get beyond three days, they're they're likely going to be 
pretty nervous. So you just tell them, hey, I'm going to dig in on this. It might be two or three days. And as soon as I, you know, pop up for air and uh, have something that I should have something that I can show you at that point, I'll be sure to get in touch with you right away. It's very, very simple. It'll take you about a minute to do, but it, it will dramatically change the way you relate to your clients if you're not currently doing that. Because now they will feel informed, they know what's coming, and when they don't hear from you, they've, they're they set up to expect that. And so that's the way that I've learned how to deal with that and and do it in a number of different scenarios that you come across as you're developing things. So be sure to never go full caveman because you will scare the hell out of your clients and it will ruin what could be really, really good client relationships. You, It's rare to find a client who will put up with that kind of thing, especially this day and age because it's so competitive. All right, like I said, we got a good show coming up for you the rest of the show. Next, we're going to get into... Oracle saying goodbye to the JavaScript or JavaScript Java plugin. Oh, I'm going to get hate mail for that one. And seven future web design trends. You're listening to the John Morris Show on johnmorrisonline.com. Today's episode is brought to you by Ebates, where you can earn cash back on your online purchases from major retailers like Amazon, eBay, Walmart.com, and more. John Morris Show listeners can get your free account by visiting johnmorrisonline.com slash ebates. Welcome back to the John Morris Show on johnmorrisonline.com. In this section, I always lo- love to cover a little bit of news that's going on, try to keep you up to date with some of the things that are going on in the development world. One of the things that I saw came out, an article that came out just today as of this recording, and that is Oracle finally saying goodbye to the Java browser plugin in JDK 9. So it's going to finally deprecate the plugin in its next release of the Java SE development kit, which is scheduled for release in 2017. Now this is a something that's probably a long time coming. We've seen Adobe starting to deprecate Flash or uh, it really started with the browsers not supporting it and then Adobe uh, deprecating it, Microsoft Silverlight, and now the same thing is happening with the Java plugin. And it really comes down to just a number of security issues uh, and so forth. So the death kind of started with, uh, I believe it was Chrome, initially ending support for uh, the Java plugin. And then I think Mozilla followed suit shortly after and you know, kind of the dominoes tend to fall after that point. And yeah, it was Chrome in April of last year because of hangs, crashes, and security incidents. So finally going to be rid of, rid of that. There will obviously be, there are tools available for developers to replace those. Java Web Start seems to be, it's a plug-in-free version of Java. Java that uh, I've been watching too much Star Wars apparently because I keep saying Java. But uh, it's a plug-in-free version of Java that developers can use. But I think there's rejoicing around the world. <laughs> I I actually find it weird when I go to use a website and it still has Java anymore. I don't. I don't. 
I don't think I even have it installed, and I, I don't. I just got a new computer. I never, I haven't installed it. I don't plan on installing it, and it's, I just, there's enough options where if a, a, most of the time if a website runs Java, I can use something else. So it's just a pain in the butt, both, I'm sure from a developer perspective, I've never used it as a developer, but I know from an end user perspective of constantly keeping this thing up to date, and then there's all these security issues and so forth, and uh, it feels like there's another way that this could be done. So we're finally going to be rid of that. We're rid of Flash, rid of getting rid of Silverlight. So things are looking up for us web developers. So keep that in mind if you happen to be developing anything based off Java, that, that that's finally going to be ending. Another article that I wanted to take a look at, probably the bulk of this segment, is one over on Medium, and I'll link to that on the show notes page for this episode, johnmorrisonline.com slash 60. And the name of the article is Seven Future Web Design Trends. Now, I know I've done a few web design trends articles in the past, but I I really like this one because these are these are different. And, and uh, the, the author actually says that at the beginning. He says, too many articles will tell you what is cool in web design. I'm going to take you past the obvious to make some real predictions. And and I think that she does that. I think that some of the things that she lays out here are things to pay attention to. So the first one is gestures are the new clicks. And she says, in 2015, it's far easier to scroll than it is to click. On mobile, you can scroll wildly with your thumb. To click on a precise target is actually more difficult, the complete opposite of what we're used to on the desktop. As a result, we should expect more and more websites to be built around scrolling first and clicking second. And then she says, of course, that's what exactly what we've seen everywhere. And she lists some examples. And again, I, I completely agree. I've talked about this kind of ad nauseum in the past. Mobile is really kind of taking everything over. I don't see that changing anytime soon. And so that that fact and the the way that the experience is different on a mobile device is going to just continue to to disrupt and change the way that we think about things and so again gestures gestures are the new clicks the second one is the fold really is dead this time i don't know that i 100% agree with this one but i i see i see her point and again, it goes back to the fact that the screen sizes are so varied, it's it's really kind of hard to design for the fold. And the fact that scrolling is so easy that having to try and cram everything above the fold uh, is becoming less and less important. And so you see the rise of sites like Medium, where this article is written, that have full screen image titles and with no content visible until you start scrolling. And that's because it's just so easy to do on a mobile device. So I do think it it is somewhat becoming A, a little bit less important, and B, much more difficult to design for with all the varied screen sizes. Um, But I do think there's always going to be something to be said for what people initially see when they open up a web page. Because you still have that two to three seconds to get their attention. Uh, and so there's always going to be a little bit more importance of the fold. But I don't know if it's going to be su- such a dramatic uh, 
you know, such a dramatic distinction as it has been in the past. So again, something to think about as you're designing your websites. Users are quicker and websites are simplifying. So she says, today every young adult is an expert web user and even the amateurs are acting like pros using multiple tabs and swiping to go back a page. The result is that everything is faster and we've all learned to become impatient. If you want to make a mild-mannered person explode with annoyance, just make their internet really slow for a minute. And so she goes on to talk about the importance of load times with your web pages. Now that's not necessarily something that's new or or especially um, riveting, but it's, it's one of those things that sometimes when you try to always get stay caught up in the new, you forget the stuff that's tried and true that that you know you have to do. And page speed or page load time is one of those things. So she cites in a, a study that shows that one in four people abandon a web page web page that takes more than four seconds to load. Now, if your website's taking four seconds to load, there's a problem. Uh, so yeah, I can see more than four seconds to load would would definitely get uh, a click away. Now, you know, with the improvements of PHP and so forth, I think we're gonna see with PHP seven and speed improvements. I think we are gonna see, uh, you know, speed speeds increase and that becoming more and more of a factor in people and how they interact with websites. So again. As a developer, this is your job. So not being well-versed in how to speed up a website or how to at least design it from the start so it's not slow, that's not going to be acceptable. It's kind of like responsive web design a few years back. There was a period of time where it was kind of optional, and then it suddenly became you, you can't be a web designer if you don't know responsive web design. And that's going to be the same thing here. If you're not familiar with page load time and how to speed up, you know, the difference between server side slowdowns and client side slowdowns and, you know, loading resources and all that stuff, then that that's going to be, if it's not already, it's going to be, it's going to be a requirement. Next, number four, she says the pixel is dead. So she says on a desktop, a pixel was a pixel. You even had an idea of how many pixels made up an average inch, which is 72 DPI. Nowadays, very few people know what a pixel is because of responsive web design, because of retina displays. It's become much harder to know exactly you know, how that all relates and interacts uh, together. And so, you know, there's, um, we still use, though, something that's very pixel-based, which are images. And so it starts to get a little bit complex and convoluted when you're using this pixel-based system or this pixel-based component on top of a system that really has kind of started to move beyond pixels meaning what they used to mean. And so she believes that that's going to lead to the popularity of vector images and that those will become more popular um, 2015, 2016, and so forth. So... That'll be interesting to keep an eye on. I, I, I'm not 100% sure on that. I agree with the analysis that, you know, pixels are becoming a little bit weird in terms of working with. You see that with text. You see that with images, so forth. But I'm not exactly sure if the vector images are going to be what ultimately comes. So I, we'll just have to wait and see. 
Number five is animation is back. So she says, if you want to make a website look dated, cover it with animated under construction GIFs and flash animations. <laughs> but several things are coming together to make animation a rising star in modern web design. And so her point is that flat design can end up making a site look too consistent, almost to the point of boring. And that animation helps a web t- website to stand out and pack more information into less space. And so mobile apps have sort of redefined what a user expects. As we've talked about, mobile will continue to do this. Um, and they use motion to convey meaning. And that's the important part here. It's not animation for animation's sake. It's like we see with a lot of mobile apps where you use animation to convey meaning. And a lot of websites are doing the same. And so you have a lot of the CSS animations that are that have come out and are coming out and will continue to come out. Also, GIF animation seems to kind of be back and is effective. And a lot of that will continue to to rise. And I don't disagree with that. I think... Again, I, I don't think it's animation for animation's sake, but I the, what I think of when, when I hear animation is I think of a form that gives kind of micro-feedback. And I think I talked about this in a, another podcast, but as you're filling out the form, it's, it's showing, it's using motion, um, it's using different sort of animations to, to make the experience of filling out that form easier, more pleasant, etc. And a lot of people when they say hear that go forms like we barely ever fill out form like are you talking about like a bank loan application <laughs> what like what are you talking about? we fill forms out constantly that's i mean it's almost all we do on the web when you write an email when you post a video to youtube when you write an article on medium when you post on facebook when you post on twitter all of that stuff the dynamic web as we know it is based on forms and so more and more of those micro touches that makes that a more pleasurable experience. Number six is components are the new frameworks. Uh, (laughs) This is one of those things. We talked about this, I think, last week, like the new technologies and what's going to be around and what's not. She talks about uh, frameworks. She talks about web components and Polymer. I'm just going to tell you the truth. I, I don't really know a ton about this I don't have an opinion on it because I don't use a ton of it because who knows who knows what's what where this is going to be a few years from now so I'll take her word on it but that's one of the ones I just kind of put a question mark on and we'll we'll see how that turns out finally and this is one for those of you who are a little bit more business oriented is she says social social saturation and the rise of direct email. And so her point is that social media has been a huge success for a lot of people, especially consumers, but many of the content producers aren't happy. And the problem is saturation. There's just so much content that's being put out on a daily basis that it's kind of hard to break through, and especially on social media. Now, social media isn't going away, but you've seen a lot of prominent bloggers who have started to realize that social media is getting crowded and that and they're kind of moving back towards email because email has one advantage over social and that that is a much higher percentage of people will see what you send them if you think about it on twitter if you if you write a tweet 
you know, <laughs> it's there for all of 10 seconds. And then you've probably got 20 more tweets and people's timelines that just push it down. And Pete, you don't see half of the, I mean, if you don't go on Twitter for an hour, you're, I know me, I miss a hundred things. So people just don't see as much of it. Whereas with email, I at least look at every email that comes in, unless it goes straight to a spam folder, but I at least see the headline and then I decide what I'm going to click on. I don't even do that with Twitter and Facebook. I scroll so fast. Who knows? Now, I will say that there's something to be said for paid advertising on these platforms. So paying to have your stuff be more prominent, and I don't see a problem with that because, you know, we pay for our email service providers. I I pay about as much in Facebook ads as I do in for my email service provider a month. What's the difference? What I want is my stuff in front of people. And so... You know, I'm not paying paying some sort of exorbitant amount to do that on Facebook. Yeah, I do have to pay now, but I have to pay for email. <laughs> I have to pay for any other channel. So I will say there's something to be said for that, but I agree with the point. And that is uh, that the s- social sphere has become so saturated that direct email is becoming, really not becoming, but it has stayed an effective tool and some of the social stuff is starting to maybe fall back, I think is more what's happening. All right. So those are the seven. She has a bonus one on there about CSS shapes. I'll let you check out the article for that one. I want to obviously be sure to support her article. Um, Be sure to go to the show notes page, johnmorrisonline.com slash 60. I'll have the link to the article there. Head on over there. If you're on medium, if you give her a recommend, maybe even a comment, that would be real swell of you to support uh, the content that you created because I think it's it was a good post and made me think about some different things that a lot of the trend posts hadn't necessarily addressed. All right, coming up next, we're going to get into the 19-year-old dude syndrome and why you want to avoid it and how you approach using social media in your freelance business. After that, we'll get into some tech, how to pick the right font for your design, and a whole lot more. You're listening to The John Morris Show on johnmorrisonline.com. John Morris here for the complete web developer course by Rob Percival on udemy.com. Now, here's the deal with this. Do you ever get frustrated constantly searching the internet for tutorials to learn how to code? Are you worried that learning how to code is taking longer than it should? Do you just wish you could learn everything in one convenient place so you can get on with earning your living as a web developer? Well, that is exactly why Rob created the Complete Web Developer Course. Everything you need to know, HTML, CSS, JavaScript, jQuery, PHP, MySQL, WordPress, APIs, and mobile apps in one convenient course. And you know it works because Rob has over 183,000 students and the most five-star ratings of any course on Udemy. Now here's the best part. John Morris Show listeners can get an exclusive, and this is just for you guys only, an exclusive 85% discount on the course simply by visiting johnmorrisonline.com slash cwdc. So look. Quit pulling your hair out trying to find good tutorials on the web. Do the smart thing and hit up my man Rob's complete web developer course with the slick 85% discount right now. Visit johnmorrisonline.com 
slash CWDC, and you'll be all set. Welcome back to the John Morris Show on johnmorrisonline.com. I want to talk about the 19-year-old dude syndrome. Now, this isn't my analogy. I first heard this several years ago from Gary Vaynerchuk, who you may know is kind of a popular online business social media guy and says some really funny stuff. And I'll link to the video on the show notes page, johnmorrisonline.com slash 60. But he did a, I guess, a conference where he got up and spoke. And he spent the whole time talking about what he calls the thank you economy and uh, kind of his what became his jab, 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 right hook idea, which is to give, 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 give on social media before you receive uh, and lead with value. And so he gave this whole talk and then he took questions afterwards and a guy got up and said, you know, said, my name's such and such. You know, you talked a lot about this whole social media thing or whatever. And so, you know, I run a company that does something related to spices. So would you promote my company to your followers? And if you've seen it, it's pretty funny because Gary goes in on him a little bit. He says uh, along the lines of, I appreciate the hustle. He's like, I really do. But, you know, because you just went straight for the ask, it's a big F no. And, you know, the whole crowd got a kick on that. And then he explained it that, you know, they've never met. Like, if you did that to somebody in, well, it was in real life, but if you, you take what a lot of people do on social media and you translate it to real life, it wouldn't make any sense. And you, we've seen, there's been comedy people that put out routines doing that. And it's kind of funny to laugh at. But when you really kind of start to think about it, it, it really is true. A lot of the things that people do online, especially to sell themselves, just don't make a lot of sense. You know, if you first met someone and what you did to them was, hey, buy my stuff or hey, help me with this thing and you met them in person, that would be a little bit weird and most people probably wouldn't do that be like I don't know you like why (laughs) it doesn't make any sense but yet we get a lot of that on online and on social media now I speak to this specifically because you know I've talked about this before I get emails every single day where people drop in a mile of code and say hey figure out my code for me and get back to me when you're done And that's the first time I've ever heard from them or talked to them. And I always find it just a little bit, it's a little weird, especially the way that people tend to demand that I help them. It's not even, most of the time it's not even like a question, hey, can you look at it? It's here, fix this for me. Now, I can promise you, I know without a shadow of a doubt in my mind, if we were talking in person, there's no way that person would do that. None. But, I mean, several times a day, I have that happen. And I don't, It's not again, it's not about me complaining. It's about making a point of how you need to interact with people. You know, if you want, if you want to build an online presence and you want to build a business or a career where you can work at home, you can do the things that you want to do, you can make good money, 
you know, as a web developer, that entails you understanding how this stuff works. And in every situation, I can promise you that going to someone and saying, hey, fix this for me, and having that demanding mindset isn't going to work. You're not going to get very far that way. Expecting things from other people, especially people you've never met, isn't going to get you anywhere. They're just not going to react very well to it. And and if it happened to you, if they were doing it to you, I guarantee you would react the same way. Now, a lot of people like to say, oh, no, 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 not me, until they get 10 emails in a day that ask them to just fix their code and demand it. After a while, it starts to wear on you. Now, again, I ask people to, to email me and so forth, but it's under the guise knowing that I'm probably going to try and answer it on the show. And I've always said that if you send me code snippets, I'm probably not going to be able to help you with it. I just don't have the time for that, and I can't do that on this podcast. So it's just, you know, I, I state that pretty clearly. But I still get tons and tons of people who do that. Now, again, I don't, it's fine. I don't, it is what it is. It's a part of what I do. But for those people, you know, if you're doing that, you're not going to get anywhere. And it's like the dude that tries to seal the deal on the first date, right? That's essentially what it's like trying to do. And that usually ends bad. So the thing to understand is that you have to create a relationship first. Like Gary says, give, give, give in order to receive. Now don't give, you know, he talks about this a lot. Don't give expecting to receive. Just give and let it go from there. And now that sounds hard to do. And I'm I'm very much not the the secret type guy, you know, that whole put it out there and it'll come back to you. I'm definitely not that type of person I'm, you know, I believe in black and white kind of transactions and interactions and being clear about things, but it really does kind of tend to work that way. Not in some esoteric sense, but if you constantly help people, you build up enough trust that when you go to ask, if it makes sense for them, they'll do it. Now, you can't ask them for something that doesn't make sense. Nobody's ever going to do that regardless of how much you give them. But if you give, 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 and then you ask for something back that makes sense, that they actually would help them also, but they got to pay a little bit for it, they're going to do it. And so you got to create that trust first. Now, the way that we do that online and offline is really different. Right. Offline, it's more about social interactions and just being around somebody and interacting and having a good time and laughing. That's generally the way that we build relationships. But online is a content driven mechanism. Really, people come online for, I think, three things information, entertainment, and social connection. And you, as a web developer, are not an entertainer. You're in an information market. You can add some entertainment to it, but you're not primarily an entertainer. You're primarily in the business of information. 
So the way that you build those relationships, the medium that you use to do that is content. Content is what helps you create context. And by context, I mean people knowing about you and knowing things about you and there being a context to the interaction. So when they show up on your services page to maybe hire you, it's not just in a vacuum of them never knowing anything else about you and seeing your sales page. It's them knowing a lot about you because they've watched seven or eight of your YouTube videos and read a bunch of your emails and read some of your medium posts you know, and they've seen you post pictures of kids on of your kids on Twitter or Facebook. They know they have all this context around that, and all of that context helps build towards when they land on that services page, them saying yes to hiring you. That's what we're doing here. That's what social media and the internet allows you to do. That's why I spend an hour each week doing a podcast like this to try and help create context, to help other people who maybe one day will will turn around and help me, to give, 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 to maybe one day in some small way receive. So that's that's the plan, that's the approach, not the 19-year-old dude trying to close on the first date. All right, coming up next, we're going to talk about how to pick the right font for your design. And I'm going to go through kind of the process that I follow in doing this. I've been doing some more of these design text sections lately because it's not something I've talked a lot about. And, you know, it's a big part of what we do. So this one's going to be about picking the right font for your design. And I'm using the word font specifically because sometimes that gets a little bit misuse. We're going to talk about that next. Coming up later, we're going to be talking about how to use content to make friends and get clients. And as always, our weekly Q&A. You're listening to John Morris Show on johnmorrisonline.com. Hey, everybody. As you probably know, I constantly harp on using content to help you grow your audience and build your credibility as a web developer. But your web presence is nothing without a great hosting provider. So if you haven't yet, get your website up and running with a fast, reliable, and well-supported web host, Bluehost, for less than six bucks a month. You can check it out and get Bluehost's best price over at johnmorrisonline.com slash bluehost. Welcome back to the John Morris Show on johnmorrisonline.com. So let's talk about picking the right font for your designs. Now, first, I think it's important to differentiate between fonts and typefaces, because I'm sure for a lot of people, when I say font, they immediately think of what is actually the typeface. And so the typeface is the actual name of the typeface. So Arial, Helvetica, Times New Roman, those are typefaces. Now that's different from a font, which is Arial, 12 pixels, bold. Right, A font is all of the information that goes along with it. So every, you know, Arial 12 pixels bold and Arial 14 pixels bold would have the same typeface, but they're not the same font because the pixels part and the bold part and all that extra information matters. So here, we're not talking about picking the right typeface, although that's a part of it. We're talking about picking 
the right font. And so there's several pieces that go with that. And if you start to think about the difference between a font and a typeface, you can probably start to get an idea of the process. So the first thing is, let's look at the typeface. What typefaces are we going to use? Now, there's a couple things. So the first thing that I look at is, do I want to use a serif or a sans serif typeface? And it's kind of like what we talked about with colors, that certain types of typefaces, like serif and sans serif, convey different things naturally to people. So we, we talked about how red tends to convert or con, convey urgency, whereas something like blue tends to be something that's a little more either dark or gloomy or calm. Uh, and so depending on what kind of feel, you know, we talk about look and feel, what type of feel your client is after, that determines the colors that kind of fit into the acceptable range. Well, it's the same with typefaces. So serif is considered more of a classy and traditional type font and often considered more readable, but if not done right, can also make a website look old. And and that goes to the fact that when the internet first sprang up, you know, there wasn't a, an abundance of typefaces and a lot of websites were built just with Times New Roman, which was kind of the, the default at that time. And so when people think of the early web, that Times New Roman kind of tends to come to mind. So if it's not done right, it can can convey old, which is not necessarily a good thing. But classy and traditional, those are things that, you, depending on who you're designing for, that may be what you're after. So I think of something like a college. A lot of colleges, even you know, college sports teams, things like that like to amp up their tradition. So I live in Omaha, Nebraska. So, you know, in my home state tradition, the tradition of our football team is a big thing. So if I were building a website for them, then that would probably be something that I would consider. That doesn't mean I'm always necessarily going to go with a serif font, but I would get an idea of of what the client is trying to convey. And if they say, well, we really want to play up our tradition, then I might do that. Or if they say, well, we really want to modernize what we're trying to do, then that would steer me away from a serif font. So you have to kind of get an idea of what your client is after and then match it up with the type of font. So again, serif is more kind of classy, traditional, maybe you could say upscale, whereas sans serif is kind of considered more modern, if they use words like clean, then that tends to be associated with sans serif fonts. So again, the most important part is to make it fit the project and the rest of the design. What you've done with your colors, what you've done with your layout, also fit that right in with your font and match it to what you're already doing with your design. So that's the first thing I look at. Next is I always start with the content text. Just like I mentioned in a previous episode that I always start with when it comes to the layout and the design as a whole, I always start with the content. Same thing with text because everything in design revolves around the content. So if you're creating a blog, then what people are going to be doing most on that site is reading the blog post. So that's the text 
that you start with. So whatever project you're working on, you want to start with the thing that people are going to be looking at the most. Usually is going to be some sort of post or text. So that's where you start. Everything revolves around that. And then now that you have your typeface, then you can use uh, Personified's golden ratio calculator to get the best sizes, line heights, and margins. I've talked about this in past episodes. I'll link to it again on the show notes page for this episode, johnmorrisonline.com slash 60. And it's a calculator where you can put in the width of a particular, you know, your content box or whatever it happens to be. You can put in the width of that and it'll help you, it'll tell you what the font size should be, what the line heights would be, and you can uh, get the margins from that as well. So it's a really, really handy tool and I use it in everything that I design. Pretty much every design that I make, I use that tool. Uh, so it's a really handy thing to, to use. So you go use that tool, start with your content text. Number three, you want to use a max of two to three fonts in the designs. If you start getting too many different fonts, it just starts to look off and kind of all over the place and, and cluttered and random. And that usually turns people off. Now, a common formula is to pick a serif font for headings and a sans serif font for normal text. You'll see a lot of designs that do that. Now, that's not a hard, fast rule, but that's a pretty common thing. And then I sometimes like to add a third font, which is more of a really kind of flowery script font that's used very, very sparingly, but in kind of key places just to add a little bit of a touch where I need it. Uh, because some, I feel like this, and this is totally my aesthetic, but sometimes because of the way we have to design everything is kind of boxes that we can sometimes get a little too, everything starts to get a little bit too boxy. And I like to add something that's a little more free flowing. It kind of just breaks up the overall design to me. I, I think of it kind of like a highlight color. You know, a lot of times when you pick your colors, you'll have kind of your main core colors and then I might add one kind of almost off color that has a, a big contrast as a highlight color to make things that I want to stand out, stand out. I use a script font in a similar way, right? Just to kind of highlight and make things stand out just a little bit uh, differently. Again, that's totally my aesthetic, but you know, you can kind of play with that and see where you're at. But the key thing is, is you don't want to go over more than two to three fonts in the design. Also, keep the number of font sizes in check. So when you're in step number two, when you're using Pearson's Golden Ratio Calculator and you get the 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 text size and line height of all that of the the content area, you really generally don't want to have a different size body text in your sidebar. You, it, it looks weird. If you haven't ever seen that, try it sometime. Take a you know 18 point font or 16 point font and put it in a blog area or a post area and then put like a 12 point font in some text in the sidebar. It just looks really weird. Generally, you want to keep those things the same size. Now, there are some exceptions. Obviously, headings, whether in a post or in a sidebar, or whatever, are going to have their own sizes. Uh, that's kind of what they're meant for. Um, but body text should have its own size and, and be consistent in most places. You can usually vary it in navigation bars if you need to. And sometimes in the footers as well, you'll see it varied there. But you really want to try and keep the number of font sizes in check and have a consistent size in a lot of your body text areas. 
The final thing then is to focus on what is most appropriate for your design and not what will make you look the best. And there's a subtle difference there. And I bring this up because I've done this in the past. A lot of times, especially as a new developer, you're trying to show off, not in a narcissistic way, just you're trying to show what you can do because you know at some point somebody else is going to look at that and they're going to base their decision for hiring you on what they see. And so you're trying to showcase what you can do. And a lot of times what happens is we really start to get out of good design and development principles when we do that. And so the best thing that you can do to show off is to to show that you know the the kind of the core principles of design and how to implement them in different situations appropriately. So you want to focus on what is most appropriate for your design, not necessarily what's going to make you look best. Because in the end, what's going to make you look best is what's most appropriate for your design. Now, I'm referencing in some of this, not all of this. I've been doing this a while, so (laughs) some of this is stuff I've done for a long time. But there's some of this that I'm referencing an article that's called How to Pick the Right Font for Your Design. Sounds familiar, right? And so I'll link to that article over on the show notes page, johnmorrisonline.com slash 60. There's some really good tips and insights in that article as well. All right, coming up next, we're going to get into freelancing and talking a little bit about content versus context. And I mentioned this a little bit earlier in the mindset section, but I want to dive into this a little bit more in relation to freelancing. And then, as always, we'll close up with our weekly Q&A. You're listening to John Morris Show on johnmorrisonline.com. So I just realized something. I'm always harping on how important creating blog content is for getting new clients to your web design business. But what if you don't have a blog and you're not sure how to get one set up? Well, don't worry, because I've just created a new tutorial on how to start your blog in less than 15 minutes. So in less than 15 minutes from now, you could have your blog up and running and creating content that's going to help you attract new clients for your web design business. In order to take this tutorial, you want to head on over to johnsbloggingtutorial.com. Again, that's johnsbloggingtutorial.com. Head on over and let's get your blog started today. Welcome back to the John Morris Show on johnmorrisonline.com. This is the freelancing section, and I want to talk a little bit more about content versus context. Again, this is not my idea. This isn't something I came up with. This is something that I first heard in this respect, anyway, from Gary Vaynerchuk. And he talked a lot about context and using content to create context and I really, when I first heard it, I didn't understand really what what he meant by that. But as I listened more and as I, you know, kind of interacted with people more, it started to make sense. And the idea is that if you look at your normal life, just offline, most of the time you're gonna you spend your time. Most people, anyway, spend their time around people who have some sort of context about them. Their, you know, your wife or your husband, your kids, you know, maybe brother, or sister, mom or dad, coworkers, friends that you hang out with. They are people who know a lot about you usually. 
And so they have context for the way that you behave and interact and who you are. And that's oftentimes very much different from the way we interact online, especially in a business and freelancing sense. Because a lot of times in that sense, we're interacting with people who don't know much about us, who've never met us in person. And really, even if they've gone to our Facebook profile or watched a video we made or whatever, the context they have is one really small sliver of who we are. And if we, you've probably had this happen where you knew someone online, you talked to them online for a long time. And and I'm not talking about a situation where they lied. I'm just talking about a situation when you're just interacting back and forth. They didn't have, lie to you about anything like that, but you meet them and it's so much different than what you had, had envisioned in your head. And that's because what we get from people, even people who put out a lot of information, is one small sliver of everything that people who are around them on a daily basis probably tend to take for granted. That's why uh, Gary Vee recently came out with a show called The Daily V. And in the day, it's usually about a 20, 25 minute video. And it's just his camera guy following him around all day and is literally there. It's like a reality TV show. The guy's there every day following him around everywhere he goes. And they just cut it up and pull, kind of pull out the important parts and, to tell a story. Just really just like a reality TV show. And when he first did it, I was like, I watched the first one. It was cool. But I didn't really, I, I I was thinking of it, it was interesting because I watched it and I go, oh, that's really cool. But then when I went into my business mind, right, <laughs> and tried to analyze what he was doing, it didn't make sense to me at first. Like, what what is this? It's just, there's nothing, because there wasn't any sort of big pitch in it. There wasn't sort of always necessarily a point, right? It's not like a lot of videos where, Someone teaches you something specific and there's a point to it. It was just kind of random. And so it didn't make sense at first. But the more I thought about it and the more I listened to him talk about it, it started to make a ton of sense because it was a, it's about creating context. Because the more you watch it and the more you see him interacting with people on a daily basis, the, the where he goes, the things he does, it creates this sense of... It's not that you think he's some genius, right? It's just you get a sense of familiarity. Now, I do think he's a smart guy, but it's more that's not what it's about. It's about familiarity and creating that context that you would get in relationships normally from, you know, that you'd have for the people that you interact with in person on a regular basis. And so... From that perspective, it makes a ton of sense. It's actually fairly genius. And this is the kind of thing that we want to try and do online in our businesses, in our freelance businesses. We want to build context for people who are looking to hire us because familiarity breeds trust. As long as you're not doing shady stuff and being blatantly just shady and dishonest, that familiarity will be breed just a natural kind of sense of trust because you feel like you know that person and 
you'll get a sense of whether you whether or not you like them and it'll be based off of more than just a sliver and so again i mentioned this in an earlier segment but i want to go into this more a lot of that online is about creating content especially for people like us who are in an information industry what sets us apart from other people online from the people who would want to hire us is we know information that they don't and we can apply that information in ways that they can't it's not that we're good entertainers we may or may not be but that's not what people come to us for they don't come to us to be entertained it's not even necessarily that we're fun to be around for they don't necessarily come to us to chat and talk and have social interaction. Our friends do, but our clients don't necessarily do that. That's not what they're primarily after. What they're primarily after is the information and the ability to apply it that we have that they don't. And that means our business is primarily a content business. Now, there's all sorts of businesses out there who are using content marketing to drive their business. Absolutely. And they're in information uh, industries as well. So it's not some new thing. It's not some revolutionary idea, but it's one of those foundational things that we as web designers and web developers have to do. That is how we create context. Now you can layer some entertainment, you can layer some social connection on top of it, but what's going to get people most attracted to you is the information you have that they don't. And so you have to use that to create that context. That's why I do as many YouTube videos as I do. That's why I do an hour long podcast every week because I know I'm in the information industry. And that if I want to build relationships that long-term will be beneficial for me personally and for my business, that I can't be the 19-year-old dude that tries to close on the first date. I mean, you wouldn't first meet a guy or a girl and immediately ask them to marry you. That's kind of what it's like when you meet a client for the first time and ask them to give you a 1000 $2,000, $5,000, $10,000. That's a lot of money. And they're making that decision based on very little information about you. So you have to fill in the gaps. And the way that we do that is through content. A side benefit of that is that you'll probably make a lot of friends along the way. And that's always cool too. So if you're not creating content, you need to start. Just start creating tutorials. It's as simple as that. Written, video, audio even if if you have to, whatever. Start creating tutorials, answering questions on a site like Stack Overflow or Quora. Whatever makes sense for what you do, start doing it. That's the first thing that you should be doing. Because that's what's going to help you build those relationships. You could, you could, matter of fact, for a while... I didn't even have a real services page. I just had a way for people to send me an email and I would get 
early on I would get not a ton every month, but I would get people who would contact me and say, hey, can you build this for me? Because they'd watch some tutorial videos I'd done. So I know it works. It works in almost every industry. And it's the first thing that you should start doing if you're not doing right now. All right, coming up next, we're going to get into our Q&A of the week, as we always do, where I'll be answering questions that you've sent to me. All of the ones for today are actually from YouTube. So if you submit a question to me on YouTube, you'll want to pay attention for the next segment because I may be answering it. All right, you're listening to John Morris Show, johnmorrisonline.com. Hey, quick question for you. Are you running a WordPress site? If so, then I want to recommend to you the premium WordPress hosting service, WP Engine. Now, what makes WP Engine different than a lot of web hosts out there is that it's designed specifically for WordPress with advanced caching and security implementation to keep your WordPress website up and running and running as fast as possible. And we all know how important speed is on the web these days. So if you're running WordPress and you don't have WP Engine yet, be sure to give it a look. You can get their best price at johnmorrisonline.com slash WP Engine. Again, that's johnmorrisonline.com slash WP Engine, all one word. Check them out. You're going to love your WordPress hosting. Welcome back to the John Morris Show, johnmorrisonline.com. Now I'm going to answer your questions. And so I've got three different questions that were submitted to me over on YouTube, and I'm going to dive into those. So the first one is from John F. Lee on YouTube. This is kind of a statement, but I think there's somewhat of an implied question there. And I hear people say this quite a bit, so I want to make sure and address it. So he starts off and says, great content as always. I've yet to make a dent to the extent that I even get a meaningful response to my proposals. I'm really starting to think that nearly everyone offering the opportunities on Elance, Upwork, etc. is only considering price. So trying to compete on value is, to them anyway, a little like speaking Mandarin among the Cantonese. <laughs> sure, they probably understand value and concept, but likely could care very little about it. It may not have started out that way, but these sites really do seem to represent a race to the bottom and little else. Now this is such a common complaint that I hear from people on freelancing sites. And there there is truth to this, right? It is a bit of a race to the bottom because there's so much competition. If that's all, if all anybody is doing is relying on price and they're not doing anything meaningful outside of that, then yeah, your competition will force the price to go down. That's just the nature of how it works. Now, there's a couple of things that you can do. So the first one, the one I recommend most, is is what I talked about in the last segment. The reason you may not be getting meaningful responses to your proposals is because that may be the first time that person has ever talked to you, and they have no context. They don't know anything about you other than what's on your profile. And that's probably not very meaningful to them. And so in in a way, it almost doesn't matter what you say. Right? You could come up with the best response. And I give tips for, for dealing with this. But the context is 90% 
and what you write is like 10%. So if you're only relying on the 10%, then yeah, it, it probably is tough. I'm not ragging on you or anything like that, but I want to make this point clear. If they have no context for who you are, then again, what you say in your proposals is likely not going to have much effect. And it's way, way, way too easy and too common for you to put the blame on them. If there's one thing, if there's an idea that I could destroy in the web development community is that it's the client's fault. Sometimes it is. But far too often we blame the client for things that really aren't their fault. In this case, it's not their fault. Right? They're not short-sighted people who don't see how great you are and the value of what you have to offer and are just too dumb to recognize it. And I, I get that's not exactly what you said, but I'm I'm playing this up a little bit here. It's my show. I can do it, right? So it's too easy to blame them. But that doesn't empower you. That leaves all the power in their hands. I always like to look at how it was my fault, what I did. And so I would ask, are you creating any context outside of those freelance sites? And here's what I mean. A lot of the work, I would say 90% plus of the work that I got on Elance and Upwork when I started out there was people who had first found me on YouTube and watched some videos, got in contact me with, with me about a project, and I sent them to Elance and said, create a project there. I run everything through there. Create a project there. Make it invite only and invite me to it, and then we'll go from there. That works a lot better because they have context about who I am outside of the freelance site. And now the reason I did that is because I know the second thing about those sites, which is they look at job history, they look at ratings, they look at all the stuff that you do with actual clients to rate your profile and rank you higher as a result. And as you rank higher, you're going to just get more quality clients because you're higher up in all the different searches and freelancer rankings that they have. So you're just going to get more offers. So I leveraged what I was doing outside of the freelance sites to help build up my profile on the freelance site. And then the two kind of worked together. So I created that context outside of the site that I pushed over to it. Right. So that's what I recommend that you do so that when you're writing that response to the proposal, it's not somebody who doesn't know anything about you. As a matter of fact, it's someone who's probably watched several of your videos or read several of your articles, liked them, and contacted you outside of the site. Or, you know, maybe they found you over there and they recognize your face. But most of the time they contact you outside the site and then you push them over there. Don't rely on the freelance sites to get your business. Go and get it yourself. Use them as a tool for leverage. That's what they need to be used as. Now, a lot of people don't want to do that, which in some ways I'm like, okay, well then, I don't know what to tell you. But 
There is another way that is harder, more annoying, and longer that you can use the freelance sites and get around this. And that is to play the game. Just play it better. Right? So don't go on when you first start out. I don't recommend if you have another job that you're doing something else or, you know, you have money, whatever. Don't go on the site looking for that to be your sole source of income right off the bat. Keep your job or whatever. But go on there and play the price game. Beat people based on price so that you get the job. If you have no job history on there, you can't expect to go on there and be say that you're valuable, say that I'm... I'm competing based on value. You don't just get to say that, right? People have to believe it. And the way that they believe it is because you have an extensive job history. You have a lot of good ratings. You have a lot of testimonials. You're ranked high. Those things don't happen by you just saying it. You have to put in the work to do it. So go in there and compete on price and win and get the job and get paid less than what you deserve to start. Build up your profile. Get the testimonials and the ratings and the job history. Watch as your profile moves up in the rankings. And with time, then you can start to charge more because you're ranking higher. You have a better profile. And when you say... Yeah, I cost a little more, but I'm worth it. You've got the proof to back that up. So I want to kill this complaint dead once and for all because I see it far too often and it's just self-defeating and self-limiting. And again, John F. Lee, I'm not, trust me, I'm not, ragging on you in particular. And a lot of the stuff that I'm talking about is actually from other people and what they've sent to me. And I'm addressing that stuff, but this kind of sparked it for me. So hopefully (laughs) we can put that to bed. Next question from Benja303 on YouTube asks, design patterns. Anybody have any resources for learning them? And I do. As a matter of fact, I think I'm the one that brought it up, but far and away, the book that I recommend for design patterns is a book called Head First Design Patterns. And I'll be sure to link to that in the show notes page for this episode, johnmorrisonline.com slash 60. And that's the book that I was given. I actually had someone give it to me. Uh, I didn't know about it beforehand. They gave it to me as a gift, um, a fellow developer. And... It is a great book. That's what really kind of first opened my mind to design patterns a number of years ago and got me into even looking into things like MVC and so forth. So that's the book that I recommend. And the reason I recommend it is because it's not just a wall of text. It's it's a lot of illustrations and examples. It's primarily what it is. So it teaches you in a way that you can actually sit down and learn it, not... You have to sludge through it because it's just a bunch of text. So it's not only explains the concepts well, but the way that you learn um, is is really nice. So that's the book that I would recommend. Head First 
design patterns. All right, our last question on this week is, <laughs> I'm gonna, I apologize in advance, I'm gonna butcher this, but this is kind of a long name. So it's Geodesman, I'm gonna go with Moitra on YouTube asks, Dear John, I have to make a form on which users can view their own data after login. But there is a problem that if someone changes the ID number on the URL, then it shows the other person's data based on the ID number. How do you overcome that? So if you're having them log in, then you should know what their ID number is because they had to log in in order for, you know, you had to reference their, their record in the database in order to have them log in. So you should know who's logged in and be able to know what their ID number is. Now there's a lot of different ways that that you can do that. I mean, you could I guess yeah, you could, you know, store that in a cookie or you know, again, a number of different ways that you could do that. That's probably not the um most secure way, but you know who's logged in, so you should be able to get the ID number for that person. So instead of putting that ID number in the URL and running your page based off of that, it should be implicitly in your code and you can use it from in your code so that there's no ID in the URL to change. And if you look at you know the way a lot of programs and applications run, that's what they do. For example, if you're in WordPress and you're an admin and you go to your own profile, it doesn't put in uh, a URL. It doesn't put an ID in the URL. You just go to profile.php and it knows who you are because you're logged in and it shows your information. And so in that case, it will only show the information for whoever's logged in. So that's the way that you want to get around that. Again, a number of ways to actually handle that specifically in the code but that's the kind of the big picture idea of what you need to do is don't be using those uh, ID numbers for logged in users. All right, so that'll wrap it up for this episode of the show. I want to thank you for listening. If you haven't yet, be sure to subscribe over on iTunes, johnmorrisonline.com slash iTunes. And if you'd be so kind as to leave me a review, that really helps me out. Also, you can subscribe johnmorrisonline.com slash SoundCloud or at YouTube at slash YouTube. If you like this video, be sure to like it so that I know that you're getting value out of these. If you wouldn't mind sharing it with the people and communities that you think might benefit from it, I would greatly appreciate that as well. And as always, if you have a question, you can send it to me. Well, question, comment, or suggestion for the show. You can send it to me, john at johnmorris.com online.com. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. Talk to you next week. Hey, everybody. Here's a quick one for you. We all know how important creating blog content is to attract new clients to your web design business. But oftentimes, those first few members of your audience can be difficult to get. Well, I want to help try and get you over that hump and help you get your first few followers. Now, I have an audience of over 20,000 YouTube subscribers, email list subscribers, and roughly 30,000 visitors to my website each and every month. And I'd have no problem promoting your website to that audience and helping you get those first few visitors. Now, to get the details on this, you'll have to head on over to johnmorrisonline.com slash publicity. 
but you'll need to do it before you actually start your blog. So head on over to johnmorrisonline.com slash publicity and let me help you get those first few visitors and those first few members of your audience.